Would you like to accelerate your career and reach your full potential in just minutes a day? Welcome to the LeadX Show with New York Times bestselling author and Inc. 500 entrepreneur, Kevin Cruz. Imagine if you could unlock your ability to learn anything and discover your hidden potential. Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Cruz. Welcome to the LeadX Show, where we help you to stand out and to get ahead. Before we get started, I hope you'll remember to tell your friends on Facebook and at work all about the LeadX Show because we want to help more people. We want to build the LeadX family. And check out our upcoming free live webinars on leadx.org. In the last few weeks, we've had Wendy Sachs teach us how to get massive confidence. HBR editor Daniel McGinn taught how to get psyched up for life's big events. And Dan Negroni taught us how to lead millennials. All free over at leadx.org. Today is an amazing show. You're going to hear from the professor of the world's most popular course. She's taught over 2 million people so far, and we discuss how she made a mind shift and went from thinking she was bad at math to becoming an engineer. We're going to talk about how she filmed her massively popular course in her basement for a few thousand dollars, and it's way more popular than these multi-million dollar courses that have been created by several different Ivy League universities. And she offers her best career advice for people who are just starting out. But first, today's one-minute tip is the game within the game. Now, early on, when my company went out to do a big sales pitch, my focus would be on winning the deal, winning the pitch. And thankfully, we won more than we lost. That's the secret to success in business. But later, a mentor explained that I was wasting the game. He said the best athletes are always playing games within the game. A basketball player who has been a little weak on defense will certainly watch the scoreboard, but she'll also track how many times she beats her opponents back to the other end of the court. In football, a running back who fumbled in the last game will certainly care about the score of the game, but might now focus on keeping two hands on the ball. And veterans in any sport, at least the good ones, they care about the score, but they use every game to give advice to the rookies. They want their rookies to get a little better game by game. So soon, Every sales call that I had, every big project, I would start to ask, how can I use this to become better myself? How can I use this opportunity to make the team better? So maybe you're a software engineer working on a, a big project. You certainly have to hit the delivery date, but can you also use the project to try out a new coding language or maybe try a new bug tracking software? Maybe if you're going out on a big sales call, you're a sales professional, Maybe it's an opportunity to bring along a younger sales rep just for the developmental opportunity. With every project, every sales call, ask, how can I use this experience to learn something new, to experiment, or to improve the team? What's the game within the game? Now, our guest today once worked as a waitress, an army officer, a Russian translator, and today, she is a professor of engineering at Oakland University in Rochester, Michigan. She co-teaches the world's most popular course called Learning How to Learn, which is a massive open online course. They call those MOOCs, and it's hosted on Coursera. 
She's a New York Times bestselling author of several books, and her newest is called Mind Shift, Break Through Obstacles to Learning and Discover Your Hidden Potential. Our guest is Dr. Barbara Oakley. Barbara, welcome to the show. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, Kevin. Now, I always ask our guests on the LeadX show the same first question. It's kind of a tradition for us. So I'm hoping you'll tell us a story, a story about a time when you failed at something, uh, maybe early in your career, but what did you learn from it also? Oh, I, I had, I've had so many spectacular failures. <laughs> it, it, it's kind of like, oh, which one do I choose? <laughs> but I, I think maybe one of the best ones is that I was made to be a Signal Corps officer. So I was commissioned as a Signal Corps officer in the U.S. Army. And here's the funny thing is I had absolutely no background in communication systems. And we're talking about electronic communication systems like switchboards, you know, uh, radio systems and so forth. So I was I had no background in that area whatsoever. I was a Russian linguist. That's all I was trained for. And I, I almost took this pride in that my passion was language and I, I didn't do anything with technology or anything. <laughs> so unsurprisingly, I failed quite spectacularly. I was probably one of the world's worst Signal Corps platoon leaders. I really couldn't put together the devices or tell people how to put together the devices. And after uh, about a year and a half of this, it was pretty clear that I, I was miserable. I was terrible at my job. And I finally asked to be moved to something else. So I, I ended up being sort of a paper pusher, uh, an administrator. And I was so demoralized. I mean, I, I'd been so awful about my job. And and here's the interesting thing that I think out of this is that it is possible to have a spectacular flame out at some point in your career and still emerge in the long run to be incredibly successful. I mean, who could have ever guessed that I would become a professor of engineering? <laughs> uh, but the the thing is, it's not like I went, boy, I, I learned from this failure. I'm going to go and I'm going to become a success anyway. It was that I, I stepped back and said, now, wait a minute. A lot of the world is moving towards technology. And if I want to have some interesting jobs that really keep my focus and there are the kinds of things I want to do, maybe I better open my mind to learning new things that can give me the, the proper background. And when I once I shifted my mind, I did a mind shift and opened my myself to being able to learn new things, it it really changed the world for me. And uh, and I think that that kind of possibility for change is is within all of us and so that's part of why I wanted to work on the book mind shift and this is a perfect lead in into that and there's so many great messages in your book but that was the one that hit me hard because you talked about not having a natural affinity for for math and science and this is exactly where my limiting beliefs are you know at this time I always felt I, I, I excelled, you know, in, in the, the words, you know, so English and writing and eventually speaking, but I've 
always felt like I've had some kind of block when it came to math and science. And to hear your journey and you describe in the book is, I mean, more than just you talking about so many other case studies, I found your own experience about doing that mind shift. And as you say, being open to the possibilities of, hey, the world's moving into this technology area. If I want to be part of it, you know, I, I can do it. And I thought that was a, a great message. And, and before we go deeper into the book, I, I want to tell everyone, I mentioned it in, the, uh, in your bio at the beginning of the show, but it's really amazing. Before the book, there was your massively popular course on Coursera. Uh, it is the the most popular course ever delivered with over 2 million people interested in learning how to learn. And, and I had a book editor, Barbara, that once told me, says, Kevin, the only books, the only courses that ever sell are how to get rich, how to lose weight, or how to fall in love. So he says, Kevin, unless you're not, unless you're going to write about those things, you're always going to be a niche, a niche author. So learning how to learn has 2 million people that have enrolled in that course. Did that surprise you? You know, that just bowled me over. Actually, my husband and I were down in the basement and he's, we're a great team and he's always supportive. So I, I had this idea, hey, I want to do an online course. And he's like, <laughs> yes, dear. Okay. So he was the man behind the camera. And, but I remember looking at him and, and we were saying to one another, is anybody ever even going to watch these videos? And it, to our shock, here are these little videos that we made in our basement um, and uh, our colleague, my co-instructor in this course is Terence Sanowski, the Francis Crick professor at the Salk Institute. So we worked together, but most of the videos were made in our basement for less than $5,000. And he, the funny thing is, so I go to Harvard they asked me to speak, and I'm like all nervous because here I am, just this you know little dweebish professor, Midwestern you know engineering professor. I walk in the room; it's totally packed, and I thought, why is there so much interest in my talk? And it come to find out that the one this one little course made for less than five thousand dollars in our basement had on the order of the same number of students as all of Harvard's online courses put together made for millions of dollars with hundreds of people. And so what that tells you is I think a couple of really interesting things. Number one, it's it's like anybody can do it because these new online tools can make things easy for anybody to do it, even in their basement. But number two, not everybody does it. A lot of online materials are they're they're kind of pedantic. They're presented in the same old way that a professor who has students trapped in their classrooms presents things. And uh, I think people are kind of wise to that. They're, they're hungry for something that's practically useful yet grounded in good research. And, uh, and so that's what we gave them. And wow, the results have been <laughs> pretty remarkable. So yeah, I'm taking notes like crazy here on my on my side. And so, Barbara, you touched on I was going to ask about the video production. And it's funny that you just you know talked about like you create it for about five thousand dollars. And I'll share with you that at, here at LeadX, 
we're working on some some video based leadership development courses and I'm spending six thousand dollars a day for professional studio. And what is been coming back now, this has been going on for for months now. There's so there's been several days. And what I'm getting back, I'm looking, I'm like, I'm not happy with it. And then I stumbled on the, the doing the research on the article where you, it's a picture of you in your basement standing in front of a green drop cloth. And I'm thinking, whoa, wait a minute. She got 2 million students and she's not worrying about a professional studio. She's not worrying that the lighting's a little bit off. She's not worrying about this, that, or the other thing. You're doing it literally in your basement. And I mean, I think... It hit me like, uh oh, maybe I'm spending my money on the wrong things. And it's also a message of hope to everyone out there that wants to help others and wants to teach because you don't need that big, expensive studio anymore. Oh, that is so true. Like, whenever I got stuck, I just go ask a local high school kid. <laughs> we get it in our minds that, oh, this is only for the professionals. But when you go and look at YouTube and what's going on with some of the great videos out there, it's a bunch of do-it-yourselfers, and people they, they might hire a, a video editor, but someone who is sharp and who's been around. I, I think one of the challenges with video editing is it's really easy to do a montage sort of things and just have someone standing there for a long time. You could charge a bunch of money and have somebody just standing there and talking away, but it actually – you need to have motion and you need to have things kind of changing up. Creative, good video editing is – that's where it's all at. Mm. But unfortunately, the experts can sometimes – well, let me give you an example. Sure. One university at, which I show uh, – it was a major national university system – did eight – Massive open online courses for $2 million, mm. and they had something like 300 students in two years. <laughs> it was a massive wasted investment. Right. And what they did was they, they got these professionals in to do all the work, and it was a bunch of montages and so forth, but it really didn't like grab you. And like a, a good advertisement will – swoop in there and right. keep you interested. And they've got some good metaphors so you can get maybe advertising. So you're learning uh, something about a pharmaceutical that uh, they use a good metaphor and they teach you about it. But if you applied that to something that people really need to know, it, it can be tremendously helpful, I think, in it just attracting a great audience and, and helping people like the material. I mean, great online learning nowadays is a mixture of academia with Silicon Valley mm. with a little bit of Hollywood. Yeah. And, you know, if you put those all together, you've got it. Wow, that's that's great. And, you know, we've been talking about the sort of the production and the, the technical side of it. But let's face it, there's two million people who are interested in the topic, your course, learning how to learn. Now, that surprises me. Why do you think that subject is so popular? I think the subject has always been popular, but we haven't had the insight from science to really show people how they learn effectively and how they could leverage their brains to learn more effectively. 
One of the biggest killers for the course is just the title itself, learning how to learn, because people go, oh, man, it's just going to be some educational institution. They're going to give you two weeks on theories of education, mm. two more weeks on how babies learn, two more weeks on history of education. <laughs> and, and then maybe we'll get a tiny bit at the end, you know, about how people really learn. And we turn that all on its head and just said, hey, here's the neuroscience. It's kind of in depth. So we'll give you some metaphors so you can get a grip on what you need to know. And then based on what you know from neuroscience, here's how you can leverage your brain to learn more effectively. And, you know, there's a lot of humor in there. Right. And uh, and people just, it, it's a fun course. It's, it's very quick. It's easy to do. But it also is really practically useful in a way that, you know, just learning about a theory of education is not necessarily practically useful. And, you know, since the success of the course, your new book again is Mind Shift, Break Through Obstacles to Learning and Discover Your Hidden Potential. So again, how do you define mind shift? Mind shift is that change in your own attitude because you realize that you are capable of a lot more than you originally thought you were capable of. And that's the kind of thing that I did when I... I suddenly realized that I boxed myself into a corner by following my passion to learn a language. So as a young person, I enlisted in the army to learn Russian. And guess what? <laughs> Recruiters are not like banging on my door to, uh, <laughs> to, to recruit me because I speak Russian. And uh, I mean, I realized that I just boxed myself in because of my self-beliefs that I couldn't do math and science. And here's, I think, a really important point. We all know that some people do have a gift for math and sure, science. Sure, sure. And they're quick at it. It's like easy. And some people, like me, don't. <laughs> they have to work a lot harder. But because you have to work harder, you're using sort of different neural pathways. And in some ways, you can learn more deeply and be more creative because you're not using the typical pathways. Mm. And so you can actually do better. Do you have to work harder? Maybe spend more time at it? Yep. But you can be even better than the ones who are the naturals at math and science. That's great. And this message, all of your message, even your language, Barbara, I'm just it's such a delight to have you on the show because lead X, you'll hear in the in the bumpers. I mean, we're always talking about helping you to achieve your full potential and how to get just a little bit better every single day. I always say 1% better every every single day. And so you, around this concept of lifelong learning, you write about in your book the importance of a what you call a learning lifestyle. I love that phrase. So why do you think it's so important to have a learning lifestyle? For many reasons. I think the first one that instantly pops to mind is you're happier. I mean, if you just go through the day and you're just doing what you have to do at work and you're, you know, doing the, you know, the things that you have to do to keep your family happy and, and you know, as far as going to the grocery store and doing all these kinds of things, it's all kind of, a lot of what you do is sort of repetitious and, and kind of drudgery. And when you open your mind and are just doing a little something where you're learning something new that day, 
you just go to sleep at night and it's like you're happier. And and also, but it, it does a lot of other things too. When you're learning, you're putting your focused attention on something and that actually enhances your ability to focus in all sorts of other things. Mm. So it's almost like learning is a particular workout system for your ability to focus and maintain your attention, which is going to help with your work, it's going to help you to be more interactive with your family. It's going to help in lots of different ways. And also, learning staves off Alzheimer's when you get older. It's protective against those kinds of things. It helps keep you mentally sharp. Everybody's met the 80-year-old who's like really open to new things and they, you know, they pull out, they have their late, the latest app on their phone <laughs> or whatever. And you want to be one of those kinds of people and having a lifestyle of learning helps you get there. Now, those are great, great points, the health, the happiness. Um, I often remind our listeners, and I do it sort of with hyperbole, but I say, be a lifelong learner because the robots are coming for our jobs. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, do you think about that, you know, uh, in terms of especially the STEM programs and everything that's out there? I mean, do you, you made the shift yourself, like, hey, this is a technology driven world, there's maybe going to be some interesting opportunities if I can do a mind shift. I mean, do you think that's a valid thing or is it like you got to really just be a lifelong learner for yourself? You shouldn't be doing it just to, you know, make the paycheck in the future. Oh, I think that both are good reasons for being a lifelong learner. I mean, part of my problem initially in the workforce was that I just didn't really think that trends in the outside world were relevant to me following my passion. And because mm -hmm. I isolated myself, I really created problems for myself. So I think it's important to look at trends and look at what's happening in the world. I love Gary Kasparov in his um, uh, most recent book, uh, and he was the world champion at chess, right. and he was beaten by Big Blue, uh, the, the chess program. But he talks about that worrying about artificial intelligence taking over our jobs is kind of like worrying that penicillin is going to take away jobs from grave diggers. Mm. There's going to be, yes, there's going to be jobs disappearing and you, you want to be uh, cognizant of that. But there's going to be these great jobs opening. I, I mean, for example, just in online learning, there's terrific new opportunities available for people who can edit videos right. really well uh, uh, and do it in a cost-effective way. Uh, there's, there's just so many new opportunities that are opening, and we have to keep ourselves attuned to that. Barbara, did you see uh, this happened just recently that uh, for the first time, uh, an artificially intelligent computer just uh, beat the world's top uh, Go champion, the game of Go? Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Go is like chess times, you know. Right. I, there's checkers, there's chess, and then there's Go. And right. uh, that was the ultimate thing. And the... the uh, in the interview, and I forget his name, um, he he answered and he said that it losing to the to the computer literally changed his view of life. <laughs> he said he never it, thought it was going to happen. That's true, but at, at the same time, nobody really loses interest in Go or chess because a computer beat them. Right. 
and in fact, what's happening is play in those games is beginning to improve because we're learning great new strategies from computers. And uh, it's it's turning into this uh, really interesting, um, we're actually doing better as a result of watching computers and how computers play these kinds of games. I think certainly artificial intelligence is going to have dramatic good things uh, in store for students as far as education goes. I mean, one of the biggest things now is just, you know, my students, like I try to get my tests back to them very quickly and so forth. But students can wait for weeks sometimes to uh. hear back on whether something was right or something was wrong. You know, and there's, face it, adjuncts are not really paid well enough right, a lot right. of times. And and universities, you know, I'd love to see them rearrange uh, how they pay things, but it's, it's just not going to be in the cards. Right. So if they can have better support from artificial intelligence, it would just do a world of good for students. And we're beginning to see that. Um, University of Arizona, for example, has got some great uh, – they're just putting their uh, economics course online. And this means that a lot more students – students don't have to wait on a wait list. Like I always wanted right. to take out economics, but I couldn't because the classes were already always full. Well, these kinds of issues are going to be uh, things of the past, and the teaching is actually better yeah. because of the way they're structuring it. Well, and, and the teachers and the professors have more time for the individual interaction and the support and, and all of that instead of the, the lecture portions or grading papers. Oh, yes. So, Barbara, you've given us, uh, you know, a, a ton of, of different pieces of advice. I mean, what in your own career, you've mentioned going, uh, I know originally at one point you were you worked as a waitress, then you were in the army, you were a Russian translator, today, professor of engineering, leading the world's most popular course. So, but what advice would you have for a young professional who, you know, maybe she doesn't really know what she wants to be, or she realizes she's going to be many things, you know, in her life. What's the ultimate advice you would give her? You know, maybe she's early 20s, just setting off. What would you tell her? I'd say there's no one perfect career. And don't don't try to overthink things that you, you've got to find just the right thing for you. Just kind of figure out something that looks like it's a it's going to be a fit for you and aim that way. If there are a lot of people aiming that way and the pay isn't very good, I would run the other way. You can get fooled sometimes. Very well-meaning professors, for example. I, I heard a, a terrific professor of psychology say, oh, you know, parents will come up to me and say, my son should go into engineering and not psychology because engineering is going to give him more options. And he says, oh, no, no, psychology is more general. I mean, mm. in engineering, you're going to be in a cubicle. And it's like, <laughs> no, uh, engineering gives you a lot of options. And it's not just some cubicle thing because it gives you a structure for how to think about what you're doing. And, you know, Everybody doesn't need to become an engineer, but whatever you're interested in, like I love psychology, but back it up with something where th there is a demand for that. Like, don't fool yourself with the idea that, oh, they need psychologists. Well, yeah, they need psychologists who have PhDs 
it's extremely hard to get into that position uh, or into a doctoral program. And even once you're into it, the pay isn't very good. You can go and look at the Bureau of Labor Statistics and they'll quote you these big hourly wages, but that's for consulting. And you, right. you know, you may be lucky if you can get one or two consulting gigs in a year. So just don't be fooled by people who are trying to build their own field by drawing you into it. You want to be <laughs> building your career. So have something you, you like and you're passionate about, but boy, make sure that you've got something that interfaces well with the real world so that you've got a career options uh, when you need them. I've got two college-age daughters, so I want to make sure they listen to that clip at the very least. <laughs> <laughs> Barbara, how can our uh, listeners find out more about you, your work, and of course, your new book, Mind Shift? Well, uh, if they just go to barbaraoakley.com, they'll see a lot of links to my books, to the courses. Uh, the Learning How to Learn course, incidentally, is free. And uh, uh, so there's there's a lot of great information there that I think um, I think might people might find helpful in their life of learning. That's great. And uh, Leadex family, you know, uh, we always talk about getting 1% better every single day and, and a daily challenge. Today, there's so many things we could be challenged to do, including think about our limiting beliefs, have a, a, a mind shift. I, I, I think I need to become better friends with the high school kids in my neighborhood to get better <laughs> uh, video. But specifically, I'm going to challenge our listeners today to actually go online, go to Coursera.com, which is the, the largest provider of MOOCs out there, there's others, and just search on a topic that you're interested in and see if there's a course coming up that you could you could enroll in or maybe just audit. And if you don't see something right away, of course, then check out Learning How to Learn. Barbara, thanks for coming on to the LeadX show. Oh, Kevin, thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. LeadX family, don't forget, you can get links and notes from this interview over at LeadX.org. And you can also download our free ebook, Richard Branson's Seven Secrets to Leadership at LeadX.org forward slash Branson. And if you want to get more LeadX in your everyday life, just follow us at LeadXLife on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. That's one word, LeadXLife. And if you've ever gotten even just one good idea from a LeadX show, do me a huge favor. It takes less than a minute. And just subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave a quick rating. Just go to leadx.org forward slash subscribe. Until next time, friends, remember, leadership is about influence, which means we are all leaders. Whether you're a salesperson or a soldier, an entrepreneur or an executive, a coach or a counselor, you are leading all of the time. You positively influence with your behavior and you influence negatively when you're a bystander. How will you lead today? <laughs>